Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? How's everybody doing? All right. You know from last week that I like a lot of participation, right? How many of you heard the message last week? Most everybody, okay. And you're still here. <laughs> How is everybody? Everybody okay from last week? Is, is it, well, all the more. Okay, well. Uh, so we are going to, I have a lot to cover today. Um, we will be out by three. Um, <laughs> You didn't laugh last week, but now you laugh because you know how long last week was. So it's like, yeah, he's not kidding. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I also, I also want to say, too, I, just, I did this for Matt. Uh, I don't have one ounce of Tommy Bahama article of clothing on today. So, uh, so for, no, chapstick's not mine, brother. Okay. <laughs> All right. But it is going to feel like, because I have a lot of content today, uh, it is going to feel a little bit like taking a, water from a, a drink of water from a fire hose. So I would encourage you to go back through this message online and get it because I learned, I, I, the, the Lord showed me this concept probably about 10 years ago, and it's, it's, it's life-changing. It, it was for me. And so it, it, it warrants the, the, the respect due to the Lord to really get this, because this is going to be freeing. Last week was a lot of stage setting. Um, Pull it down. Good. Making sure my whiskers didn't hit it. It's like, it's like, ah, oh, gosh, all we can hear is like rubbing. Okay. All right. So, is that okay? Is that okay? All right. Uh, okay. So. We had a great time last week. We, we had a lot of things that we covered, um, and it was hard, right? Can anyone attest to that? It, it's a, it's, it was hard truth. Now, here's the thing, and I, I say this because a lot of conversations have come up throughout the week um, be, because of the message, I think, and because the Lord's stirring in them, and I think that's good. I think those conversations are very healthy. I think we should have more. I think we should dive in. We should dig in together as brothers and sisters in Christ to push us towards the Lord. That's what tough conversations are all about. It's not to, you know, just roast somebody. The idea here is that we all are in this together pushing on to the Lord, right? That's what this is about. So, I do want to address a couple things, though, because things have come up. People have told me I've had multiple conversations. And by the way, thank you for the overwhelming support of the message last week. Uh, I know it's not a popular one, uh, and so the encouragement means a lot, so thank you for that. Out of that, and even before that, I would say probably for the last several months, conversations have come up with people where 
it's, it's kind of like this battle, though, right? Because we hear hard truth, and then it's kind of like, yes, but where does grace come in? You know, this grace and truth kind of message. And I actually heard from somebody with, you know, I was about to say a name, and I don't want to say a name. Okay, so I, was, I, I had this conversation with this individual, and they were saying, man, I, I've had conversations with so many people, and they're like, yeah, but, but it's about grace. And had another conversation uh, throughout the week, and they're like, yes, but it's about grace. And, and then, you know, in the Bible study that we had, we had uh, Bible study was awesome, right? That was, that was really good. Come if you can, because we had a great discussion. Um, but the subject of grace came up. And I do think that grace is appropriate, but I just want to take a little bit of time here to kind of talk about grace from a biblical perspective, just because we kind of need to just understand what the Word of God says about certain things so that we can reconcile our faith on this journey, right? Or does that make sense? Okay. So I still, <laughs> I still have stick to my notes written throughout this, uh, this thing. So, um, so, but here's the deal. I, I also heard from some people, it's like, man, he, you know, you, you, you can't, in fact, a dear friend of mine, uh, was talking about, I was like, man, but you didn't show the soft side of yourself. You showed a lot of kind of anger, like you were angry. And I kind of thought for a second, I was like, I am angry. I'm angry. Uh, in that context, I'm very angry. And the reason is, is because, now that message was, was largely geared for the church. That message last week was not for the unbeliever, okay? Now, the word of God is for everybody, I get that, but that message was because there is deception, there are lies that are coming into the church, and I'm seeing it every day. Are you? And so my question is, why aren't you mad? Jesus is angry of the ungodly tax uh, money, money changers in the temple, so he came in and he turned over the tables. Now, I am not comparing myself to Jesus. I'm saying that there's deception and there's lies, and there's things, attacks from the enemy in the church, and we have got to stand for that, and we won't tolerate it as the body of Christ, and we've got to get angry a little bit. Okay? So, I was angry. I am angry, and you should be too. But let's talk about the, the, and answer the question, because it comes up a lot, where does grace come in? Here's the thing. So, when I was in Bible school so what was years ago, um, I'm just kidding. I'm not that old. Um, but it was, what, 20 years ago? 20-something years? I'm looking at my wife. She's, she's my date person. Okay. So when I was in Bible school, the seeker-sensitive church had kind of come on the scene long before that. I think the first one that at least I had heard of was Willow Creek, Bill Heibel, and um, not mentioning any names. Um, but, but anyway, the, it was coming on the scene, and I think they actually established in 1976 or something like that. But I heard of them really just strongly when I was in Bible school. And so everybody was kind of talking about this seeker-sensitive thing. Now, here's the deal. My parents, that generation, generations before, were kind of known for the holier-than-thou, right or wrong. I'm not going to open, not going to get into this too much. But it was the holier-than-thou kind of fire and brimstone messages. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The intentionality was good, but humanity's answer for that was to swing the pendulum way over here. It's like the concept of the bending of the tree, right? If the tree's like this and we want it to be centered, then we have to go all the way over here just to get it centered. So humanity's answer 
to the seeker-sensitive church, or to the, to the hellfire and brimstone kind of messages was the seeker-sensitive church. And so it was all grace. It was all feel good. It was all comfortable. We didn't want anyone to feel uncomfortable, right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And that's what we've had for the last 20 years. The rubber band has been stri- stretched, and so now it's like, well, wait a minute. That, that was true. That was, that was too hard. It doesn't fit my comfortable grace message, Okay. And so I want to look at grace from a biblical perspective because that is another potential deception that's happening in the church. Where does grace come in? So we're going to look at grace from a biblical perspective because the Bible is the ultimate authority. Amen? Okay, it doesn't matter what you and I think. If it's wrong, according to what God already said, you have to throw it out. Okay, so... Second Timothy 3.16 Uh, I mentioned this last week. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So isn't it, the question is, isn't it grace and truth? Well, first of all, grace is not always mentioned in the Bible with truth, okay? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am life. He didn't say I'm the way, the truth, and life, and grace, okay? Grace is an extension of who he is poured out on us, giving us the, not giving us the punishment that our sin deserves. That's what grace is. So Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is what? From who? God. From us? No, from God. I cannot give you grace. I cannot give you grace. It is a gift from God so that we can come into God's family together. Amen? and grace, we see it in the Old Testament, we see it all through the Bible, but it culminates in the New Testament with Christ's coming. The Greek word for grace is charis, and it it literally means favor, blessing, or kindness. By the way, I only have my Bible verses up there, so if you want to jot things down, um, hope hope you have a pen. Um, Okay, so... It means favor, blessing, or kindness. So when grace is combined with God, it takes on a way more powerful meaning. Grace is God choosing to bless us rather than curse us, that, you know, that in which rather than curse us as our sin deserves. Okay? <clears throat> it is a gift of God. You and I cannot give grace. The Holy Spirit through Paul, though, he did start because that's, you know, what about Paul? He, he started letters when he was talking to the church in Corinth and the church in Ephesus, Philippi, Peter. He was saying, grace and peace to you, my brothers. That was a phrase that was used to bring them into the fullness of who Christ is. That, you, that Paul would say, I cannot, I can, he can give kindness, right? We can give, we can give favor. We can give kindness, But that doesn't cover people's sins. Only God can give that kind of grace. You guys see that distinction? So, yes, we can be kind, but that's a fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to talk about later in this message. So grace is not the covering that that you and I can give. It can only come from God. And I hope I'm really kind of delineating this for you, because am I the only one that has conversations with people about grace? Or do you guys, are you guys having those conversations? Yes? No? Yes? Okay. A lot of you are. All right. Good. Yeah, we are. There you go. 
yeah, it's equipping, right? So here's the thing. Um, you and I cannot use grace as the endless, endless covering to continue to sin. Romans 6.15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. So should I continue to sin so that grace could abound more? No, certainly not. That's the sanctification process we talked about last week. That's the process of us becoming holy in the sight of God. Okay? Paul rebuked Peter. Peter was trusted by Jesus himself to take care of his clock, his clock, his flock. John 21, 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So Peter was entrusted to him to actually feed the flock. But we go to Galatians 2, verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Okay? That's not like this nice kind of, hey, it's okay. He withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Now this is Peter. He was entrusted to feed the flock, right? Verse 12, for before certain men came from Jesus, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of circumcision. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Here's what's happening here. Peter was actually associating with the Judaizers. That's what it's talking about when it's uh, talking about the circumcised, basically the, the religious ones that were following the law only, okay? They opposed Jesus. That's what put him on the cross, right? So it was literally the Judaizers that he was hanging out with, and he was accepting false doctrine, and he was acting in a certain way that when he would come back to the flock, he would act completely different. That's why he was called a, hip, a hypocrite. And he was actually watering down the doctrine and the belief of the church. And so Paul withstood him to his face and called him out and said, you can't do this. You're a pillar of the church. You cannot do this any longer. This is wrong. And you know what's even worse? Is that by Peter's actions, he, he took another member of the church with him, Barnabas. People were looking at what he was doing, and now Peter also became a stumbling block. Now, what if Peter at that moment was like, hold up, Paul, I got to get my grace card. But we do that today. That's not something that you and I can give. That's something that I can push you back to get it from God, who has the endless supply of grace for you and I, thank God for that. But that's not something that you and I can give. Don't use it as a covering so that you can continue to stay in your sin and do whatever you want. Because that's not what grace is. And that is cheap grace, and that, yeah, that's a counterfeit grace, and you need to get right with that. And I don't mean you, and I'm like, you know, it's like I look, make eye contact with people, and they're like, oh my gosh, are you talking to me? And it's like, no, you in general, right? Okay? That's what I'm talking about. It's not, it can't be the cheap counterfeit. So we like message of grace. Truth, we don't like that so much. 
So we're like, hey, give me all the good stuff. Give me the grace that, we, that I can't even give you anyway. That only comes from God. Do you guys see that? The delineation there? <clears throat> Imagine... Imagine if, you know, somebody get, gets caught stealing. They're, they're, they're a, a habitual offender of some crime, and the judge lets them off. It's like, you're good. I'm going to let you go. Gives them grace. Now, most people, right, not maybe in New York or California, But most people would, would take that and go, wow, I didn't deserve that. I better really get this cleaned up. Right? So isn't it a slap in God's face if we're taking that, that cheap doctrine of grace and just saying, hey, I can do what I want. It's my own personal hall pass. I can do whatever I want. I can continue to sin because God's grace covers me. Yes, that's true that God grace, God's grace does cover you. You are forgiven, past, present, and future. Amen. Thank you for the grace. That's how I'm saved, Ephesians 2.8. But then you don't understand the sanctification process because if you loved the Lord, you would not want to continue to sin. Do we? Yes. I'm not saying that you won't. I sin all the time. I wish I didn't. It's the struggle we went over last time with Romans 7 that Paul said, man, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Right? It's a struggle. I'm not saying that you'll reach this, limit, this life of perfection and you stop sinning. But you can't look at it like you can continue to sin. Does this make sense? That's the message of grace. And you and I have an obligation, a duty to really, in love, point this out. Here also I want to say this. When I was talking last week about, you know, hard truth, please don't use that as a license to go and blast the non-believer. We shouldn't even blast the believer, right? Truth is offensive without anything that you and I can add to it. You guys get that? It's going to be offensive anyway. So why add anything to it? Okay? We don't want to put them away. We don't want to shun them away. We want to bring them in. And Jesus was the best example of that. He literally left heaven to enter into our world just for the sole purpose that he could bring us back into his. He loved us first, but definitely said, go and sin no more. Right? Amen? Okay. Just wanted to get that out. We good? Okay. So uh, kind of a little bit of a review. Last week we talked about a war on truth. There's deception happening in the church. If you haven't heard the message, I, t I, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, but put on your uh, big boy pants. Uh, but the, the purpose last week, so what we were talking about was deception and lies in the church, that the, the, that the fact that a tactic of the enemy is to use beauty to deceive us because we're attracted to good things. Even Satan comes as an angel of light. Demons operate as agents of righteousness. If we saw Satan coming, you know, in a pit, pitchfork and horns, we'd spot him a mile away. That's not how he comes. He comes as an angel of light. 
And we're attracted to those things by watering down truth. And here's the thing, the reason, it's not as easy as saying, okay, here's untruth, here's truth. And there, there's a huge chasm in between. Here's untruth, here's truth. It's not that easy. Because the way that Satan decepts, this is why it's deception, the way that he decepts and deceives is that he actually wraps that truth in a bunch of falsehood. That's deception. So that it's like when you're having a conversation with somebody, it's like, yeah, there's, there's truth in there, but it's not all truth. But here's the thing. Literally, think about this. If Satan comes as an angel of light, and then we're trying to follow the Lord, how do we discern? It's through the Spirit developing a biblical grid in us that we can spot that, because the, only the Spirit can spot that. The flesh doesn't know things of the spirit. That's what the Bible says. Only spirit knows spirit. We've got to have our spirit transformed. And the Holy Spirit does that according to Titus 3, which I'm going to get into. But last week was to point out the deception that is in the church and the watered down how that the watered down message and how that translates to the sanctification process because here's the deal if you and I don't understand the sanctifica- sanctificado well, I don't know what the I'm making up words today okay uh, if you and I don't understand the sanctification process we're going to be ineffective for the kingdom ineffective for the kingdom And his greatest desire for you and I is to know him and make him known. We have to know what's at stake. We have to know what's happening in the church. And it does make me angry. Because that watered down message that we hear is turning a lot of people away from the Lord. And I've talked to them. They say, I don't want to have anything to do with God anymore. Shame on us. Because we get wrapped up in self and we don't walk led by the Spirit. And part of it is because we don't know how because the church doesn't know and they don't teach us. So we're going to talk about that today. Lord, we love you so so much. And Lord, once again, I'm here standing with the awesome responsibility to teach your word. Lord, I don't have the power to change hearts. I don't have the power to seed your message. Only you do. And so I pray that your word would be seeded in the hearts of everybody here and everybody watching online. That you would take the blinders off of everything that we've either been taught in the church or things that we haven't even learned in the church. And Lord, if there's something that I would say that doesn't need to be said, Lord, hold my tongue because I only want your word to be said today. In your name, amen. Okay, so... We talked about last time, Romans 7, and the struggle, right? And there's three laws in in verse 21. 
There's the law of, of God. We want to do the law of God because the law of, that's in our mind, right? Remember that? Okay. There's the law of God. We have the law of our mind wanting to do the law of God. And that's where Paul was at. And he's like, I want to do the things I'm supposed to do. That's what he was saying. There's the law of God wanting to do it with the law of my mind. But it's canceled out every single time because of the law of sin and death in my members. That's our flesh. That's our sin. Every single time I want to do God, I want to do what's pleasing in your sight, that I want to do that, but every single time it's cut out because of the law of sin and death in my members. And Romans 8, starting in verse 1, then talks about the fourth law, which is the only thing that can break the cycle, get you off the hamster, hamster wheel, is the law of the spirit of life. The spirit of life. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. So then the question then becomes, how then do I walk led by the Spirit? See, growing up in the charismatic church, when somebody would say led by the Spirit, I was like, what does that even mean? Like that's, and it was like, you know, a lot of different things, but to them, but it was, I never understood. And I felt actually like something was wrong with me because I didn't have the experiences that they were having. So I'm like, man, do I not have the Spirit? It's totally different. The Bible says that we're made up of body, soul, and spirit, right? We are three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, which is what? Body. And is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Whoa, wait a second. Heart? Where's the heart come into play? Bible says that we're only spirit, soul, and body. But haven't you always seen Bible verses that talk about the heart? Haven't we always talked about having Jesus live in our heart? Haven't we always talked and heard about the heart? Well, how does that work? Here it says we're only three parts. So further delineation. Luke 1, 46 through 47, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. So there's a delineation there again. My soul, because a lot of people think that soul and spirit are actually connected. There's a theology out there that actually people believe that we're only two-part beings, spirit and soul is one, and then the body. Well, there's a, there's a distinction here. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit. Right? See the delineation there? And then again, obviously the verse that we went through before that, which is uh, Hebrews 4.12, and there's delineation there that we are three-part beings. Why are we going to go through this again? Because I want to know if the law of the spirit of life is the only thing that's going to break the cycle. The cycle, there's another word, um, is only going to break. Is the only thing that's going to break the cycle? Then I want to know how to exercise my spirit. That's where the focus should be. How am I led by the spirit? That's what we're going to be talking about. All right. So soul is made up of the mind, emotion, and will. Mason. Uh, told me the other day that I said that out of order, but it's the same, same three parts, okay? So you, you put it in whatever order you want. <laughs> Mind, emotion, and will. 
So now we're going to talk about the mind. The mind is made up of our thoughts, ideas, concepts, reasoning, understanding, knowledge, etc. That's the mind. Proverbs 2.10. Oh, can we go to the next slide here? Why do I have Philippians up there? Oh, it's further delineation. That's okay. We're going to go on. Okay. Proverbs 2.10. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul. Knowledge is pleasant unto my soul. Where is knowledge? In the mind. mind that is the, the connection there. Soul. The mind is in the soul. Proverbs 24.14. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto the soul. Where's knowledge? The mind. Where's mind? Soul. Psalm 139.14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows. Where do you know? In the mind. Where's the mind? The soul. Lamentations 3.20 and 21. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind. Where is the mind? Soul. And that's where it links it right there. Okay? So the mind is in the soul. Now dealing with emotion. Emotion is for us to love, right? It's where we feel expression. For us to love, 1 Samuel 18.1, now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. What's love? Emotion. Where's emotion? Soul. There you see it. Song of Solomon 1.7, tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, my soul loves. What's love? It's an emotion. Where's it at? It's in the soul. Or hate. 2 Samuel 5.8. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. What's hate? Emotion. It's hate in the soul, which is, or yeah. Emotion in the, you're with me. <laughs> Emotion in the soul. Um, to dislike or be joyful, 61, Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself from, with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. I greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful. It's an emotion. Or grieve. Oh, more on, more, more on rejoice. Psalm 86.4, rejoice the soul of my servant. So again, we see that. 1 Samuel 36, uh, grieve. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was what? Grieved. What is that? Where's emotion? Thanks, J.E. You know when you, like, hear your child in a crowd and you can actually, like, (laughs) you know it's exactly your child's voice? I love you, buddy. 
I'm not calling him a child. I'm saying I know his voice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, Judges 10.6. And they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul was grieved. Okay. Grieved in the emotion. It's in the soul. Next we have will. <clears throat> Where is where we have our purpose and our, choice, and our choices? That's what will is. Choices and purpose, okay? So Job 7.15, Job 7, so that my soul chooseth, so now my soul chooses. Right? What's choosing? Will. Where's will? In the soul. And it also makes decisions. Job 6, 7, the, the things that my soul refused, that's a choice, to touch are as my, as, as my sorrowful meat. First Chronicles twenty two nineteen. now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. That's a choice, right? That's a choice. That's will, okay? So I know that you've probably heard that the soul, and it, well, I know because it, Matt says it all the time, right? That soul is made up of your, your mind, emotion, and will. Maybe not in that order, but mind, emotion, and will, okay? I just wanted to give you the biblical reference for why that's true. All right, everybody with me on that? Okay, so when you or I consider or reason that we are, we are using the mind, when you feel happy or sorrowful, we are in emotion. When we make a decision to do anything, our will is in operation. Okay? You guys see that? Okay. Those are the distinctions. So we are made up of body. We don't really need any distinction there. We know what our body is, but our soul is a mind, emotion, and will. Those are the Bible verses that talk about that. But next, we are a, tri a tripart being, right? Well, what about the spirit? The spirit also has three parts. And we have to understand that because we're the new temple, and that's a huge part. Do you realize that the Spirit was the, took the place of the Holy of Holies that was in the temple? See, we're made up of body, soul, spirit. And I'm going to actually show you a diagram here in a minute of how that links to the Old Testament temple. But we're made of body, soul, spirit. Our spirit is the Holy of Holies. Why don't we know about the Spirit? That's literally the place where we contact God. And yet we've got blinders on, because I haven't heard anybody talk about this. But that's literally the key to everything of you being sanctified and living the Christian life. We have to understand how our spirit is operation with our soul and our body. So the three parts of the spirit are conscience, fellowship, and intuition. Fellowship, conscious, and intuition. Conscience. The purpose of the conscience is to discern, not to make the choice, that's our will, but it's to discern right from wrong, justify, or condemn. That's the conscience. Romans 9.1.8. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. Romans 8, 16, 
the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So it's basically there, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit, and then they brought into the conscience saying that that's part of the spirit. Get that? Spirit's part of the conscience. Fellowship. Fellowship is to contact and commune with God. John 4, 24, Romans 1, 9. So to contact and commune with God. Fellowship, uh, in in, uh, John 4, 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him him in spirit and in truth. That's contacting him. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. That's why that's a part, uh, part of the spirit. Romans 1, 9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. That's contacting God. That's fellowship. And you see they're contacting him in what? Uh, last verse, but that's okay. Well, all right, he went back. Thanks. Um, they're contacting him in what? Spirit. That's fellowship. Okay, we can go to the next one. Next is intuition. Intuition is the direct sense or feeling in our spirit regardless of reason or circumstances. Let me say that again. The direct sense or feeling in our spirit regardless of what? Or circumstances. It is a leading by the Holy Spirit, not because you feel something in you. Maybe, but it's not circumstantial and it's not based on your feeling. Feeling is where? It's in the soul. That's why, you know, I've talked to so many people and it's like, and I don't, I'm gonna maybe exaggerate the point here, but it's like, if somebody is in their quiet time, they're spending time with the Lord, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I need to, I'm really hungry. I need to make some eggs. Lord? Was that you? And we laugh, but here's the deal. I know a lot of people that put experience over God's word. Can God move through experience? Absolutely. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying that you're moved You have intuition by the leading of the Holy Spirit, not based on feeling or circumstances. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Is it spirit-led, or are you in a a soulish experience? Are you being led by the Spirit, or are you being led by the soul? And I would argue that a lot more people are deceived and then are hard on people or whatever It's because they're operating in the soul. See, the Lord is the endless supply of everything that you need, even though that I don't don't know what you need, but the Lord does. And if we have a situation where you walk away, I take responsibility for that. If you walk away and they're feeling beat down, broken, and, and, and bruised and messed up, I don't find that to be my Lord and Savior. So were you being led or operating in the Spirit, or were you being led by the soul? 
Are we having a spirit-led experience or are we having a soulish one? That is the direct sensor of the feeling in our spirit regardless of the reason or circumstances. So, um, intuition. First uh, Corinthians 2, 11 through 12. For what man knoweth are the things of man, <clears throat> save the sp- spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Basically, right there, it's, I, I quoted it, I mean, a weak paraphrase, I agree, but the paraphrasing of that, the summation of that is, spirit only knows spirit. Flesh doesn't know spirit. That's intuition, right? Everybody with me so far? Okay. That's intuition. So we see in God's word that the spirit is also made up of three parts. Remember what they are. Conscience, fellowship, intuition. Thank you, three of you. Hey, we're talking about three parts today. Three people got it. Um, I'm just teasing. Uh, All right, so where's the heart, right? Where is the heart? I talked about this before. If we're made up of the body, soul, and spirit, then it's like, wait a minute, what? I'm reading God's word, and then there's like, heart, where's the heart? I think we just saw pretty clearly that the Bible says that we're made up of only three parts, right? So I've gotten a lot of conversations with people about this. It's like, well, I think it's in the body. Well, that's the outer court. Did you meet Jesus? In the, did they meet Jesus in the outer court? No. Oh, well... It's in the soul. Well, then it would only be mind, emotion, and will. There would be nothing of the spirit. So why would Jesus live in the soul? It's just, it's not how it works. Okay, so where's the heart if we're only three-part beings? I wonder if Matt's mouth gets as dry as mine up here. (laughs) Sorry, things random pop into my head. Okay, so where's the heart? All right, Thessalonians 5.23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord. So, I'm going to further delineate this here in just a second. Hebrews 10.22. So we talked about uh, conscience being part of the, the, of the spirit, right? Remember, conscience is part of the spirit. What are the three parts of the spirit again? Conscience, fellowship, intuition. So Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. It's part of the conscience. It includes the conscience. So now we see that the heart actually includes the conscience. Well, where's the conscience? Spirit. Spirit. Okay. 1 John 3.20, the heart condemns. The conscience justifies and condemns, Right? Remember the conscience conscience justifies and condemns? For if our heart condemns us, 
our heart condemns. Well, what condemns? The conscience. That means that the heart is part of the spirit, but part of the conscience. Okay? There's no mention of the heart being part of fellowship, fellowship and intuition, but the heart is part of your conscience. Okay? All right. Um, it's also part of the mind, emotion, and the will. Matthew 9, 4, but Jesus, knowing their hearts, said, why, don't you, why do you think evil in your hearts? Well, what is thinking? Mind. Where's the mind? Now what's the heart part of? Soul. I know this is in-depth, but is this, are we good? Is this, okay. All right. So, I'm sorry, I also like a lot of participation, so... <laughs> Um, okay, so <clears throat> yeah, I'll come back to that part. Okay, all right. So still, Matthew nine four, and then Genesis six five, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, thoughts of his heart. The heart thinks. Well, how does the heart think? Where does think come from? Mind. Heart's part, heart's part of the, the mind. Okay? <clears throat> okay, next is, uh, again, Hebrews 4.12. We saw this verse earlier. But for the word of, the, of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents, of the heart. So we see the heart having thoughts again, right? And we know where the thoughts come from? Mind. Okay. Um, John 16, 22. Now we're going to talk about the heart of the emotion or the motion in the heart and how they're linked. John 16, 22. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. So now we see that the heart rejoices. What's rejoice? It's an emotion. So now we saw that the heart was part of it, linked to the conscience. We also saw that the heart was linked to the mind because it was thinking. And we also now see that it's tied to emotion because it rejoices. John 16, 6, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. What's sorrow? Emotion. Heart's connected to the emotion, which is connected to the soul. Next, purposes and it, and it wills. That's, that's what the, uh, the will, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, Acts eleven twenty three. It purposes and that's the will. Acts eleven twenty three. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart. What's purpose? Will. Now heart's connected to the will. So, Kind of recap here, we have our mind, will, and emotion that's in the soul. We, have, of course, have our body, but then we have, you know, our soul, which is the mind, will, emotion. We have our conscience, which is, uh, we have our spirit, which is conscience, fellowship, and intuition. And then now we see that our heart is connected to conscience, which is also which is connected to our mind, our will, 
and emotion, which is all parts wholly of the soul. So that is the link. That's the link. A heart is the link. <clears throat> so the heart is equal to the part of our spirit and the whole of our soul. Not H-O-L-E, W-H-O-L-E. The whole of our soul. Okay? The purpose of our spirit is to contact God, John 4.24, to receive him, 1 Corinthians 6.17, and to contain him. 2 Timothy 4.22. I didn't know I had those up there. Okay. So the purpose of our spirit is to, (laughs) it's like rewind. Okay. Contact God. John 4.24. God is is a spirit and that they uh, worship him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Receive him. 1 Corinthians 6.16. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him and contain him. 2 Timothy 4.22, the Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. Be with your spirit. Grace be with you, amen. So the purpose of our spirit is to contact, receive, and contain. Isn't that good? That's the purpose of our spirit. Well, here's the deal. How do I know how to overcome whatever addiction? How do I know to overcome whatever is going on over here through the sanctification process if all I'm doing and all I'm told with my action steps at every church is action is things to do? Instead of how does the spirit actually change me and that spreads into all my other faculties and I'm literally living out the fruit of the spirit. That's what it is. That's the spirit. God literally sends the Holy Spirit to live in our spirit. Man, this is, uh, this, is, this is good. Thank you, Lord, for sending your spirit, the Holy Spirit. All right, so now we're going to go to a diagram where I'm going to kind of tie all this in together, Okay. Isn't that pretty? Uh, I did. And Matt told me that it looked like the old game operation. (laughs) And so I had Casey actually make it look better. Thank you, babe. Okay. So what we have here is the Old Testament temple, right? We had the outer court. We have the holy place. Then we had the veil which, by the way, the veil was massive. Some scholars say that it was over four inches in, in width and over 300 men it took to actually move the veil. This was a massive, massive, dare I say cloth. I mean, it was fabrics woven together, but that's a pretty stout drape. <laughs> okay? That's a huge, huge thing. But it was the divider between the holy place, or the inner court, and the holy of holies, the place that actually contained the Shekinah glory of God. Is that for me? That is awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Can we give it up for Aaron? Thanks, Aaron. 
Okay. So, you have the outer court, because remember, our body took the place, right? Our, our, our being here is three parts, and it literally is the New Testament temple, right? I don't have time to go through all that, so you're just going to have to take my word for it and study, for, study it later. Okay, so the outer court is our body, right? That's our body. Joints and marrow, that's the outer court, so that's our body. Next, we have the holy place. That's the inner court. That is our soul. That is made up of our mind, will, and emotion. That's the inner court or the holy place. Okay, we're good there because, well, I'll come back to that. Um, All right, so then we have the holy of holies. That's where on Yom Yom Kippur, once a year, the the priest would go into the holy of holies and sprinkle blood over the ark for the propitiation of their sins. And, you know, because as as Mason said earlier during worship, that there there can't be forgiveness of sins without bloodshed, without sacrifice. Okay, that's how they did it. Well, so what we have here, though, is that we have the spirit. So we have the body, we have the soul, which is the mind, the will, and the emotion. We have the spirit, which is the conscience, fellowship, and intuition, which is the holy of holies. But remember the heart. The heart is not the whole of the spirit. It's only the conscience. But the heart also is the entirety or the whole soul, which that's why you have mind, will, and emotion in the heart. Now, every time Matt does a, 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 a document like that or a chart, it takes me like five minutes to go, okay, because that's how his brain saw it, right? And he put everything together. And so that's kind of, that's my fear here is that, I mean, I put this together, but I'm hoping that it makes sense because I've been looking at this, I've been praying over this, and you're seeing it for the first time. So let me just kind of go through this one more time is that you've got the body, which is the outer court, You've got the soul, which is the holy place, the mind, will, and emotion. And then you have the holy of holies, which is the conscience, the fellowship, and the intuition. Here, (laughs) this is so good. The veil was the separation. They could not contact God on his own. When the veil was ripped from top to bottom, God literally ripped it when he died on the cross. And he said, no longer... Is there going to be anything that separates you from me? That's the heart. That's the function of the heart. The veil had to be torn down so that the heart come in and be the link between the spirit and the conscience so we can, the spirit and the, and the soul so we can contact God. That is our temple. That is so good. And you and I have the ability to every single day go into the Holy of Holies, contact God, have our spirit regenerated so we can live him out. That is the fruit of the spirit. And the churches try to manufacture the fruit and sit there and stay in the soul because they don't know necessarily how the spirit works. And so we get in there and we, and I'm not saying these things are bad, but you know, when worship is going on or, or it was a great message or whatever, it appeals to our soul. And so you have to ask the question when you walk out or when you're having a worship, a worship experience or when you're in a service and you think that's really good. Is it a soulish one or is it a spirit-led one? 
because so many people in the church are missing God altogether. This is what Paul was struggling with in Romans 7. I want to do all these things, but I, I mess up every single time. The only thing that breaks the cycle, the only thing in the sanctification process is the law of the spirit of life. That is the only thing. And that is how we do it. And that's good. Not because of me, I'm saying this is how God designed it so that we could contact him, so we could have fellowship with him, and so that we could contain him. Mark 12.30. Oh. Let me check my notes. Oh, yeah. My, my mistake. Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When you guys understand what's happening in the spirit and how that works, how do you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing? Can you get your soul to a point where you're living out a sacrifice holy and pleasing? No. See, everybody has a soul and a body, but when we, before we know Christ, our spirit's dead. Our spirit's dead. When we become saved, the Holy Spirit literally takes up residence in our spirit and starts the regenerative process. Praise God for that. So if you took the nature, I said this example to somebody the other day, and he was like, whoa, man, that animal analogy, I don't know. But it's the only one I got, so I'm going to say it. So if you took the, the cat nature or the dog nature out of the, those two animals and you swapped them, if you literally put the dog nature into the cat, you wouldn't have to tell the cat to start barking like a dog. If you did the opposite and you took the cat nature and you put it in the dog, you wouldn't have to tell the dog to meow like a cat. They would just do it. Why? Because they have the natures. And through the sanctification process, we are literally gaining Christ's nature. That's what Paul meant when he said, for me to live is Christ. He didn't say for me to live is like Christ. He said for me to live is Christ. Why? Because he's literally, he's literally contacting God, so gaining Christ's nature, and he lives out Christ. So guess what? You don't have to tell people that are through the sanctification process being led by the Spirit to go down and work at the soup kitchen. You don't have to tell people to get involved in the ministry. You don't have to tell people because you just do it. Because you're living out Christ. And that's the only thing that gets you and I off the hamster wheel in Romans 7 because it's the law of the spirit of life that breaks the cycle. So then how do we exercise our spirit? That's what we need to keep focusing on. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, when you understand all the other parts that we talked about and how actually the spirit 
is being spread into the soul, which is the mind, that verse takes on way more meaning, doesn't it? I understand how people can get stuck on the soul. But you know how Matt talks about that there are mysteries in the Bible that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you. He wants you to dig in. He wants you to seek him. Well, now that we know how the spirit works in the conjunction with the mind, the will, the emotion, this verse takes on new meaning. So how do you renew your mind? Well, by having your spirit regenerated. How do you exercise your spirit? 1 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. See, the renewing there, when you look at that verse and it says Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore. Therefore is actually referring to the first 11 chapters in Romans that Paul was talking about. See, we didn't even know a lot of these things. Romans is, is, in my opinion, the best, well, one of the best, if not the best, instructional books of how to to live out your walk in, in sanctification. And he's literally laying out in all those chapters the purpose of the word. So when he says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, he's saying, so now all these things I've said to you all up until this point, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living and holy, acceptable, uh, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And Romans 12, 2, and do not, can be, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing there in the, uh, in the Greek is akinosis, which is ongoing renovation or a complete change for the better. I'm not saying that you can't have experiences if you have a great worship night or you, you know, have a great devotional, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. It's the Holy Spirit through Paul. The ongoing process that changes you and sanctifies you is the word. So if I were Satan and I'm attacking the church, what would I try to put blinders on and get you not to do? And there is a famine of the word. Do you see Satan's playbook here? There are blinders and people are not in the word. We have to be in the word. It's the only thing that regenerates you. It's the only thing that exercises your spirit. It's the only thing that builds the biblical grid so you can see the angel of light versus things of God. It's the only thing that allows you to continue to live and break the cycle, the slave to sin. It is the law of the spirit of life. It is the only thing that gives you the discernment to walk out, to live out, to be love to this person, to be truth to this person, to be this to, to this person. It is because literally for me to live is Christ. The word, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Do we meditate on the word day and night? Do we get the word in us? Do we have that allow us to regenerate our spirit so that we can contact God? It's the word. The word is thy lamp unto thy feet. Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word 
that proceeds from the mouth of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, joints and the marrow, and is the center of thoughts and the intents of the heart. 1 Timothy 4.13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. It's the word. First to, uh, Psalms 119.18, Open my eyes that I might see the wondrous things from your law. What is the law? It is the word. 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. The word that you may grow. Psalm 119.10.11, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That one was a double bonus. It had truth and word in it. Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. See, the Holy Spirit through Paul introduces the fact that we need to be renewed by, our, by the word in Romans 12, 2. But it's not done. There's many more chapters in the book of Romans. And then he goes on and says in Romans 15.4 that for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We need to realize we have more freedom in Christ when we're living out being led by the Spirit. But it's like this perpetual trap that we're constantly fed. Here's your five tips to being a better husband. No, you want to be a better husband? Get in the word and let the Holy Spirit transform you, regenerate your spirit, and so you live that out and love your wife as Christ loved the church. Because here's the deal. All of that is crap. All of that is manufactured fruit. And guess what? Manufactured fruit cannot sustain you. It may last for a little while, but you're kidding yourself if you think it can sustain you. It's not. And if it could, then why even Paul, when he was led by the Spirit, was still on the hamster wheel? Don't get caught in that trap. We don't need to hear any more messages about action steps or anything. I literally have the word of God that is getting in me, that is regenerating me, that is teaching me how to live him out. I don't want to be a better Chris. That would probably make me more angry. I don't want to be a better version of myself. I want to live out Christ. You see this? Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, are you intentional with the word? Are you intentional with the word? 
I had lunch the other day with a buddy of mine, <clears throat> and uh, it's so awesome. God is so awesome. And I've watched him grow. Let me tell you, let me just say something really fast. I talked a little bit about my past last week. I know what God's done for me. I know the mountain of sin that was destined, my destined for life in hell. I know the grace that God's given me. There's nothing better than being able to contact your holy father. And let him walk with you every single day. When you get into the word, that's all he wants. That's all he wants. Is you to seek him. But we're not told that. We're told to get better in our soul. And I want you guys to be free. And I'm just so thankful that God showed this to me 10 years ago. Because a lot before that, man, I thought I was serving God, but there's a lot of dead people in my wake. And destruction of just truth. We have to be led by the Spirit. We have, we have the word of God that he holds above his, his very name. It's transformative. And that's why I get emotional because of what God has done for me. And this is literally the key to living out and being transformed, becoming holy in the sanctification process. And I was having lunch, and uh, I was talking with my buddy, and, uh, and I was just like, man, I see Jesus all over you. Tell me about it. Like, what are you doing? And he told me about it. And so I literally, instead of me telling you, I'd like him and his wife to come up right now, and you can hear directly from them of how the, God, how the power of the word of God is transforming and how it's radically changed their lives and their family. Cody, Nana, can you come? <clears throat> Sorry, man. I'm just yeah, trying up here. So this is not my thing at all. This is definitely hers. Um, but I'll give you a little backstory. So It is. It's very it's nice. Really nice. It holds those papers up very nice. Um, so last year, Matt challenged, like most of us, he, he challenged me to read through the Bible chronologically. And I started that last summer. And, um, you know, I started strong. I probably got 10 days in. And then I start missing a day here, missing a day here. And to be honest, I wasn't very consistent. And... I did that, um, you know, for about six months, just going through it chronologically when I could, you know, mostly on the weekends or when I could find time in between work. And um, a couple months back, 
uh, somebody you know within our family brought this challenge before me and said hey you know it's a it's a fitness it's a health challenge and something right then stirred in me and said yeah just do this like what's it gonna hurt and so it's a it's a 75 day challenge and one of the parts is reading 10 pages out of a book every day and so I chose to read read scripture for those 10 pages and what I did was I, I followed my uh, chronological um, plan, and I did two days reading every day. So I was getting between, you know, six and ten chapters. And I went 75 days being in the Word daily, um, you know, eating good, everything like that, and felt really, really good, you know, and got to the end and was like, you know, on fire, and then um, probably about three days after I ended the challenge, I missed a day of reading. Um, I started to get laxed in the other things that I was doing, and then I missed a second day, and I could tell something was off. You know, it was like, hey, something, something doesn't feel right, and it was it was kind of the same feeling that I had on the the first cheat meal I had after eating clean for 75 days, it was like that cheeseburger was, it was okay. But then going and having the ice cream sandwich afterwards, it was like, oh, this, I feel like crap now. And that's how I felt after two days of missing reading the word. And I, I'm sure Anna could tell, I'm sure my kids could tell that I wasn't being fueled like I had been, and I can tell you, I I don't miss days anymore. There's, it has to get in, it has to be. Um, I have to be in the Word daily, because otherwise it is it is miserable. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I just want to encourage you real quick that if you are praying for someone. Um, to see his need or her need for the Lord to keep praying because for the first 10 years of our marriage, I've been praying that Cody would see his need for the Lord and to seek the Lord and to join me in that because it's not, it's not anything we shared as a married couple for the first 10 years of our marriage. Um, and so I just prayed that he would, that God would get a hold of our hearts. And every day, every Sunday that we walk through the doors of New City, we're walking through an answered prayer. Um, because this community has changed him so so dramatically, and because of that, it has changed our family. And um, I'm just so so thankful for New City, uh, for that reason, and for Chris and Casey, and and just the people that have surrounded Cody and and us. And you know, when you're a part of something that um, the desired outcome is just the normal behavior, that's when real life change happens. You know, and when when Chris or when uh, Matt stands up here every week and, and talks about being in the Word, I mean, we we were coming for about a year before we were like, oh dang, we this is like this is what they do. Like they read the Word every day. It's like okay, and you know, there's something different about reading the Word daily and reading the Word consistently because I've I've been in the Word consistently for a very long time. But there's something different about the seasons when you read it daily that is very different. And um, I just wanted to read this 
really quickly because, and I know Chris might share this next week, but when the husband is the one that is in the word, it completely changes everything because that is the design for family um, from the Lord. And it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And I would have to say that we are being washed by the word every day. And it's because it's being led by our head. And I'm very thankful. I'm so very thankful that the Lord answered my prayer. Um, So keep praying. Uh, But, you know, I think the biggest thing for me from learning from New City and, and the community here is that, you know, for so long we were in an environment, like Chris has said, that was all about behavior modification, which was contingent and reliant on our own strength to make change happen. And um, the change for me is that being in the Word and, and, and really... Um, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, which ironically is contingent on our weakness, um, that's when the real change has happened for me. And so get in the word, you know, Um, seriously. I mean, it it took us a year to really realize that that's what we really needed is that daily washing of the word. So encouraging you to do that. Amen. Thank you, guys. You know, you don't have to tout what a great Christian you are. You don't have to do anything other than be in the word intentionally, and he will change you, and you will gain Christ's nature, and you will live him out, and you will live him out. So if you want to talk about politics, be in the word. You want to talk about racism? Be in the word. You want to talk about trans, LGBTQ, all these things we talked about last week? Be in the word. You want to talk about progressive Christianity and how it's watering down theology? Be in the word. You want to talk about love, kindness, and other elements of the fruit of the Spirit? Be in God's word. You want to talk about building a biblical grid of truth so you can discern the Holy Spirit through you will discern between attacks of the enemy and what things of God are? Be in the word. You want to talk about family? Be in the word. You want to have a biblical worldview? Be in the Word. You want to shatter human reasonings to be able to over, uh, overcome the opinions of man and what this world stands for? Be in the Word. Be in the Word if you want to completely transform yourself into the likeness of Christ and his word. Be in the word.
Be in the word. Be in the word. And that will regenerate your spirit. Titus 3, 4 says, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing, regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit resides in our human spirit. It's being washed. It is being regenerated. It is being renewed daily, but only if you seek him. Yes, you're justified when you become saved. We talked about that last week. But sanctified, that's a different matter. Be in the word. And I'm going to tell you something. When I've had conversations with people and they're saying right now, man, I've tried that before. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Or I don't believe in God anymore. Now that watered down deception and weak theology just caused an eternity matter. I am angry with the deception in the church. And you should be too. And you know how you fight? Be in the word. Intentionally, be in the word. It's like, man, you're saying be in the word a lot. You're darn right I'm saying it a lot because we've lived with blinders on because that is the attack of the enemy. To put the blinders on us. There is a famine of the word of God and it's not exercising your spirit and being in the word is not even taught in churches. It's feel good, it's comfortable. And like I said last week, you do not change when you're comfortable. But there's nothing better to be pruned by the living God. Because yeah, it can be hurt, it can be, it can be painful. But he's doing that because that branch had already grown. And now he wanna let something underneath it come out and be blossomed when he shines his light on you and you're growing with the regeneration of your spirit. Be in the word, be in the word. So there's no magical formula. The transformation of the mind and the soul occurs with an exercised spirit. Without that, everything is a soul experience instead of a spirit-led one. God forgive us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank, for, thank, thank you for loving us so much that you died for us and the veil was torn. And at that moment, I have the ability to contact you directly. that I don't have to try to be a better husband. I don't have to try to be a better dad. I don't have to try to be a better friend. I don't have to try to be better in the workplace. I literally just need to be in your word with intentionality and you will make me those things because you are my bountiful, endless supply for everything and anything that I need as I live you out. Forgive us for not being in your word. Thank you for the lives that are being changed like Cody's testimony. He didn't try to seek approval from me or anyone else around him. That he has his eyes focused on you and it's made him a better husband, a better father. Lord, I want that. I don't want the blinders on anymore. 
I don't want anyone else to have the blinders on anymore. God, we need you. And your word is the secret. Forgive us, the church, for distorting all of this and ruining it and literally not sharing your truth and love to others. Forgive us, Lord. Impress upon us the need for you, the desire to get into your word every single day with intentionality. And Lord, for some of us, if we're sitting here and we're going, but I don't even have the desire, then Lord, fill them with the desire to want more of you. Fill us with the desire to even want to go to the word and gain more of you. And if you're watching and you're not saved and you don't know Jesus, He's literally everything. Nothing in this world matters without him. Nothing. The world is hurting. They've been hurt by the church and the deception in the church. God, forgive us. And if you're watching online or you're here and you're not saved and you don't have the intimate, deep relationship that you can have with the Holy Father because now you have the ability to to contact and commune and have fellowship with a holy God who loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you. Don't wait. Don't wait. Accept him. Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord, for the church, the church body, the remnant church, the people that are just wanting to recklessly abandon run for you. recklessly abandoning all the things we thought were important in this world that really is just caught up in the world system that we don't want any part of it, Lord. We just want you. Because all that's just going to be burned up. Lord, convict us, correct us, change us because you love us that we would be in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do want to let you know that um, next week, Matt will be back. So I tell you that, one, because we're excited to have him back, but two, um, just remember the times that you think he has 35 pages in slides and you go, thank God Burkle's not teaching. (laughs) Next week, I'll be finishing up kind of the third part of this series. And we're going to be talking about the family and God's design for it. You do not want to miss that because, man, that's where it all starts, like Anna was talking about. It's the family and it's the leaders and the men. So men, come next week with big boy pants, okay? Because we're going to get into it, all right?